You certainly are with us here at WayFM. Thanks for joining us, and it's time now to welcome Dr. Andrew Corbett to the microphone for this week. G'day, mate. How are you going? Good morning, Karen. The microphone's still hot from our mayor. Uh, Indeed. Not, not normally in on Wednesdays, no. but uh, good morning to uh, Mayor Van Zetten. Always interesting, and uh, gee, serves our city well. He does. There's no doubt about it. Very well. And so we love we're, having uh, him. He's a good friend of YFM's too. Very good have. friend, yes. former board member of YFM, yes. and uh, just such a great asset to our city to know that we have someone of that competency uh, directing our city. So uh, always interesting whenever he's in. So normally in on uh, every second Tuesday, I think. Yes, it is, yes. So this was a bit of an exception. So, yeah, the microphone's still a bit hot, so I'll, the bar's been raised. We'll try and Indeed. keep... But keep, I'm uh, sure you can keep raise to a standard. It. Well, Cameron, there's a couple of things, and you just mentioned uh, as I came in. I I generally don't get the newspaper, but when I was in here last week, I noticed that the leader of the um, uh, some lobby group promoting same-sex marriage had written in to the Examiner making some points about uh, why same-sex marriage was inevitable. And those people that were resisting were really being unfair and on the wrong side of history. And, you know, everyone has a right to marry whoever they want and all the rest of it. And Cameron, as someone who has studied philosophy and logic and how to think clearly, the the, the logic gaps in that letter that appeared last Wednesday in the Examiner were just so glaring to me that, uh, as I mentioned to you, I, I, I just put out my iPad, took a photo of that article and went home that night and wrote a response which was published, as you told me, was published yesterday in in the examiner, in the letters to the editor, uh, which I'm pleased about. But it, it, you know, you get 130 characters or was it 130 words, yeah. or whatever it is, it, 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 50 words, I think it is. You, you have to be very, very succinct. Yeah. The beauty of me coming in here on Wednesdays is that I don't have, I can waffle. <laughs> I and yes. I don't have to be, I can actually explain uh, my case and I can explain my position, perhaps with a little bit more, hopefully, with a little bit more clarity. One of the things that, has happened is that in this so-called debate, anybody who offers a counter-argument, an argument for family, for an argument for any position that sounds restrictive, although I'm really boggled to think that that upholding marriage and family are prohibiting uh, drugs, for example, mm-hmm. uh, illicit drugs, that mm-hmm. is, is actually restrictive on a culture or society. I, 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 I think it's if, if that's the direction we're going, it's very sad. But the point I really want to hone in on today is this whole thing of inevitability. Cameron, I, I actually operate on a, a, a way of looking at the world that says there is something else going on. There is a higher power. I... I I'm not ashamed to say that I believe that high power is God, the God of the Bible, who created heavens and the earth. He's created mankind, not just created mankind, but has actually laid out somewhat of a plan. There's a program being unrolled here. And in that scheme, I... I, if someone says, do you think certain things are inevitable? I'm absolutely going to agree. Yes, there are certain things that are inevitable because there is someone who is writing 
history from a future perspective. In other words, history is going somewhere. And the greatest historical uh, um, impact on, on the human race was 2,000 or so years ago when a carpenter from Galilee was crucified on a cross outside the walls of Jerusalem. And here we are, and we call this year 2013 for a reason. It's We commemorate his death on the cross 2,013 years ago. We, we mark our calendar with significant events such as Christmas, one of the happiest times of the year. As I tell my children, one of the three big celebrations in a year, apart from my birthday and <laughs> this coming Sunday, which is Father's Day. <laughs> I was you know, waiting for that. Well, you know, as I, Cameron, you know, hopefully one day you'll have the joy of, of letting your children know that Father's Day is, is the second most oh, yeah. important day of the year outside yep. of your own birthday. <laughs> and then, you know, close third oh, so is... Christmas comes in third. Close third then, is Christmas. <laughs> And then, of course, Easter is a significant time for many people. They think, isn't that the start or the end of the, you know, doesn't Easter mark the end of the outdoor camping season? And and for some people, it's a bit of a surprise uh, to discover that it's actually, uh, it actually commemorates uh, a festival that, uh, a festival that was started in uh, Jewish antiquity called Passover. And when Jesus died, coinciding exactly with the Passover events, and today we celebrate, or celebrate perhaps might sound like a morbid thing considering someone died, but that's that's only half the story of Easter, of course. Jesus rose again. Now, Jesus also outlined a bit of a program. You know, he he said something was going to happen. Something was going to. Uh, be t- a message would be taken to the whole world and then there, there would be certain things that would culminate it seems Jesus was saying certain things would culminate history and ultimately there, there is something that Jesus said that I take very very seriously and w- w- I want to kind of conclude our, our hour uh, talking just briefly about that but all that to say, Cameron, I, I think there is a certain inevitability about where history is going. So whenever someone says this, I don't believe there's a God, I don't believe in spiritual things, I believe that all human beings are just meat from the top down, we're just a collection of cells, we're, there's nothing immaterial about us, there's no higher power, um, Darwin has explained it all, here we are, let's just make the most of it. And then they use words like inevitable, inevitability. I actually have to wonder, hang on a minute, you're borrowing a term that only makes sense if there is some invisible force guiding where history and mankind is going. And yet you deny that. You actually deny there's a God. You deny that there's a moral code. You deny that there's any right and wrong that's... Um, not subject to human laws, but it's 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 right because it's right and it's wrong because it is wrong, not because some government or parliament or court declares it to be so. And yet you're using this word inevitable. So Cameron, I want to talk about this because I believe there are certain things that are inevitable. I want to, uh, before we go to break with, with music, I, I want to make a point that there are certain things that affect us individually that I can guarantee you will will invoke a certain inevitability 
in your life. Mm. Uh, for example, if you treat people in a certain way, a negative way, I can guarantee you, you will experience inevitable consequences yeah. of that. If uh, And Cameron, I, I guess also I'm thinking in terms of the future of our state. I, and I'm not, I don't just think of the future of my children. I've got four children, uh, t- two grown children, one of them married, um, two children still in school. I, I, I look, I do think about their future. I, I think about my grandchildren, the grandchildren yeah, I was going to say. Yet. I was going to say, it's not too far away. You will be a granddad, Andrew. Uh, it, it, hopefully, <laughs> in, it, it, it will come at the right time, yes, Cameron. Yes, yes. <laughs> uh, uh, but but uh, and I'm looking forward to that day, mm. and um, I, I I hope that uh, each of my children marry well. Um, uh, my daughter has, and and I hope that ultimately that uh, my other two daughters will, and my son will, and that they will have lots of children, and that I will be the grandfather to a clan. I think that would be <laughs> yes. wonderful, the wonderful. greatest grandfather that ever. Well, you know, gr- gr- someone someone did say to me that being a grandparent is so wonderful. They wish they'd done it before they'd become a parent. <laughs> um, <laughs> That's what I've heard. <laughs> um, it, look, it's uh, it's one of those things where I, I look at uh, a generation that's that's growing up right now in Tasmania that d- is is almost losing heart, Cameron. They they are being dumbed down to think they can never amount to anything in this world. They'll never achieve anything in this world. They'll never be able to do anything of significance in this world. And I, uh, Cameron, find that tragic, just tragic. And I, I want to say something to them about how they can affect their inevitable future. And uh, I, I know that there's there's a whole there's a whole generation of kids that that have convinced themselves that they'll never amount to anything, they'll never be able to become smart because well you know I, I don't come from the right family or I don't have the right opportunities or whatever. And I I, I want to say something to them about what actually is inevitable for their lives. So Cameron, let's go to a music break. Yep. Let's come back after that. And let's look at what the future will inevitably look like. Sounds good to me. All nice to reflect on the future this morning. It's 8.45. We'll be back with Dr. Andrew Corbett. It's Bon Jovi, of course, with uh, their signature tune uh, called uh, Living on a Prayer. We were just discussing there that uh, Dr. Andrew Corbin and I about uh, John Bon Jovi not being able to sing that song live anymore because there's some high notes there, that's for sure. So he gets the audience to uh, to sing it. They say that um, your voice probably matures in your uh, mid-30s and then after that, well, it just varies after that. Often with rock singers, I think they batter their voices a little bit and uh, they probably end up with not the voice that they used to have. I think that's correct. Anyway, we're talking with Dr. Andrew Corbett today about uh, the future and what it's going to be like realistically. So, Well, yeah, the, the whole concept, Cameron, of inevitability, and I'm hearing this more and more, as I said, from people who actually don't believe history is going anywhere. They actually don't believe there's a guiding force behind history. And, and straight up, I, I just admit, I, I do. I actually think history is going somewhere. I think certain things are inevitable, but I don't think it's what these people think it is. What makes something inevitable is when when an ideology, an idea of how the world works and how it should work, goes unchallenged and is allowed to run its course. 
Now, this can be either good or bad. And what I would like to suggest, Cameron, and I'll give some examples in a moment, is that when people want to promote an agenda that, that's actually unhealthy and it's wrong and it's bad for a society and a people, that what will happen is that there will be a, a mid-course correction. Something will correct history in order to bring it back to what is genuinely the, in, the inevitable direction it should be going in. Let me give you a couple of examples of this. A man by the name of Friedrich Nietzsche, born in 1850 in Germany, son of a Lutheran minister, a very aloof father, and that coloured his opinion of God. And he grew up despising God, became an atheist, an avowed atheist, ended up coining the expression, God is dead. Frederick Nietzsche, because God is dead, therefore the one to whom you're going to be held accountable doesn't exist. He, he, all, of the, all of the morality and ethics that he was taught by his father and in his childhood upbringing, he abandoned it. And Frederick Nietzsche ended up writing a very influential book um, told in a sort of a, a story, metaphor sort of way about... God being dead and and now you know you've kind of got to make your own way in the world and Frederick mm. Nietzsche applied that to himself in his final years he died at the age of 49 uh, died in 1899 uh, in his final years he, he went insane and he went insane because of um, contracting syphilis and Cameron to my knowledge there's only one way you can contract syphilis and that's the way he got it, okay. and uh, from a, a fairly promiscuous life, which mm. was the result of him saying, there is no God, I'm not accountable to anyone, you make the, the most of your life, just live however you want. And he lived that out and died in a, a mental asylum, insane, um, dying of syphilis. So the the tragedy of his life is that the book that he wrote ended up becoming the handbook for a young man by the name of Adolf Hitler. Ah. Uh -huh. And Adolf Hitler made this required reading of all his uh, army officers. And that had some pretty dire consequences where this man, Adolf Hitler, said, it's inevitable that the German race will overrun the world and we will establish a kingdom that will last for a thousand years, the Third Reich. Uh, and I'm suggesting, I think the one who actually is directing history uh, introduced a, what I would call a mid-course correction, and that was corrected and that was dealt with. What makes something inevitable is when an ideology is implemented and goes unchallenged. And Frederick Nietzsche's ideology, that there is no God, that mankind is is the result of just random chaos. There's ultimately no one to whom we, we will be accountable. You can just live life however you want. Well, there's, there, are, there are certain inevitable consequences to that kind of thinking. And it was people like G.K. Chesterton, people like C.S. Lewis, who began to challenge that ideology. And they did it masterfully. And today we have uh, all sorts of ideas being promoted. I think I was listening this morning to someone talking about um, former Bishop John Shelby Spong, 
uh, the former bishop of Newark in uh, Newark in uh, it's, uh, if, if my American friends are listening to please forgive me the way I'm saying that you know where it is just outside New York outside uh, uh, New Jersey I think um, uh, Newark and he he promoted John Shelby Spong promoted or promotes the idea that uh, God is not a person Jesus Christ was somebody who um, attained to something like God likeness and all of these ideas and John Shelby Spong's ideas are grounded in the idea that he wants to express himself sexually in a certain way that he can see that the God of the Bible clearly prohibits and therefore he has to because it's not in his interest he has to disagree with the God of the Bible now what what uh what many people describe as inevitable, they also use another word, and that, that word is progressive. They say, you know, we're progressing in this direction. And Cameron, whenever I hear that word, I, I know that there's often smoke and mirrors being used here because the word progressive often is not progressive at all. It's, it's actually often, very often, regressive. It's, it's not introducing something that has never been tried before. In fact, it's, it's more often than not introducing something that has been tried it failed it had a disastrous effect and it wasn't good for society and now people have dressed it back up again in something else and are asking society to accept it because we're using this really attractive word and the word progressive is attractive but they they're calling it progressive and i think we need to be really really careful you know uh sometimes we we ridicule the concept of of marriage uh, between a man and a woman without recognizing that marriage is actually good for men and it's good for women and it's good for children and history tells us that and there there have been social experiments in days gone by where they've experimented with dismantling marriage and reinventing it and redefining it and here we are today in in you know the 21st century thinking we're being all progressive and you know, innovative by suggesting uh, <laughs> that we can um, redefine and uh, reconstitute marriage and how progressive we're being, when in fact the Romans did it. The Romans did it in the first century. Uh, they experimented in the second century. Uh, Stalinist Russia abandoned marriage in the 1920s and, and uh, 30s. And this is not a this is not progressive. In fact. History had those mid-course corrections, bringing marriage back to one man, married to one woman, entered into voluntarily for life so that children could be reared or raised. And th this, is, this is because there's a certain design, an inevitable design about this. When we look at how families are meant to function, uh, there's a certain inevitability about that as well. Cameron... <clears throat> I want people to really begin to scrutinize this this word progressive and, and begin to ask, is it really progressive? Has this been tried before? Was it regressive then? And really, are you trying to switch the labels on something that we now know historically was regressive? It will be regressive if you do it again. And yet you're just calling yes. it progressive. I, I think we, we need to be really, really careful. Now, <clears throat> Cameron... I know we're coming up to to the news break, but I think we can we can look at 
even our own lives, and this is after the news, I want to come back and talk about this, because for some people, they throw their hands in the air and they, they do a Doris Day, you know, K Sarah Sarah. Whatever will be, will be. There's nothing I can do. I am who I am. I can't change my future. Uh, this is my lot in life. Mm. Uh, and Cameron, I really want to challenge that. I want to challenge that thinking and give three reasons or three, three ways, at the very least, how you can add positive inevitability, positive inevitability to both your life and your family's life after the news. So let's come back. We'll talk about that. And then we're going to talk about what is actually inevitable for our state and what we can do to help the cause of positive inevitability. Indeed. Thanks, uh, Dr. Andrew. We'll be back with him after the news on YFM now. And it's time for the latest UCB news uh, with the team. It's nine o'clock. Well, as we've been speaking, uh, it's been a glorious day so far this morning, but uh, as is the, what the forecast is saying, it has clouded over a little bit in the last 15 minutes while Dr Andrew Corbett's been talking. Partly cloudy today, but fine. Wind south to southeasterly, 15 to 20 kilometres an hour, becoming light in the afternoon, and a top of 13. Tomorrow, a shower or two developing in the morning, increasing to rain at night, 4 to 15. It's been the pattern where we've had a lot of our rain over the uh, winter months, particularly in August, uh, overnight. Anyway, the range there, 4 to 15. Showers easing on Friday, 10 to 17, with a partly cloudy day forecast for Saturday, seven to, uh, 6 to 17. Monday's uh, top will ex- is expected to be 19, so uh, as we head into the spring months, it's already getting warmer straight away. That's what we like. Immediate effect of spring. It's uh, currently, what's the current temperature out there at the moment? That is a very good question. I can't actually give that to you at the moment. Uh, we've um, um, not got that uh, up on uh, on the site, so apologies for that. But let's go straight into uh, our continuation of our this morning's chat, this week's uh, Wednesday morning discussion with Dr. Andrew Corbett today talking about uh, the future. Well, Cameron, sometimes we, we come from families where, you know, for generations the, the, there may have been nothing but social welfare dependency, um, unemployment, uh, jobs that people, you know, uh, worked in factories or whatever. Now, I don't want to sound snobbish or elitish in saying that or even suggesting that there's anything, you know, inherently wrong or evil or bad about that. But what I, what I am concerned with is that sometimes... I, you know, I, I believe God gives people potential. And it's it's a shame when people don't at least take their potential and do something with it. Cameron, I'm the son of a truck driver. I'm the son of a... Of a, of a my dad didn't go past the age of 11 at school. And, and that was it. So my my educational background, to say the least, was, was very restricted. And I went to a, a, a very, very big public school and uh, both primary school and high school and worked in the shadow. Actually, I was surrounded by several shadows. One was the, the Shell Oil Refinery. One was the Ford Motor Car Company. And the other one was Herd's Abattoir in Geelong. So, you know, that when, when, that's, when that's all you know, you, your prospects don't look all that bright but something happened in my life when the world opened up to me and I realized I didn't have to be defined by either my 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 family of origin I didn't have to be defined by where I was born the color of my skin 
the school I went to, the people I currently knew. I didn't have to be defined by any of those things. In fact, my life began to take on a potential that was completely foreign to me. And I began to experience life in a way that was it, it, it was unknown to me and it was foreign. And quite frankly, it was at times downright uncomfortable. But here I am, and I'm still on that journey, by the way, Cameron. I'm still experiencing what it's like to recognize that my, I have not yet reached my potential in, in so many ways. And the way I'm now talking is probably quite a different way of thinking for many people. They perhaps have been conditioned to always take the safest ground. They've always been conditioned not to take too many risks. They've been conditioned to uh, not, not move out of their comfort zone. And they may have been conditioned into thinking that they were almost locked into an identity, you know, and their identity for them may have been, well, you know, I'm not that bright, I'll never do that well, I don't read books, I'm not that great. You know, as I reflected early this week, I put a couple of uh, tweets up on my uh, Twitter that that, um, uh, George Orwell wrote a book called 1984. I think he wrote it in the 1920s. And he wrote this book, 1984, where he he dreaded a future that would come in 1984 where he he says that uh, books will be banned. In 1984? He he said that was his fear, that that by 1984 books would be banned because it would be not in the interests of the government to have people able to think that the government would just want to dumb people down. And, of course, 1984 is where we get that expression, Big Brother, from. That, that, that's ah, where that expression comes from. Right. So the government's I always watching you. The government's telling you what to do. The government's paying you. The government's feeding you. The government's housing you. You, you just do what the government says, and, and life will be okay as long as you, you do that. Don't read. Don't grow. Don't, don't, you know. And that was his fear, and that, that he wrote, you know, I think, I think he wrote that in the 1920s or maybe 1930s. Another fellow by the name of um, uh, was it Alvin uh, Alvin uh, Toffler, I think it was. Okay, he's not a chipmunk then. No, no. <laughs> he wrote a book called Future Shock, and in Future Shock, he actually said the future won't be one in which uh, George Orwell's fear will will ever happen because the government won't have to ban books because what's happening is people just don't want to read books. Yep. And then uh, most recently, a fellow by the name of Neil Postman wrote a book called Amusing Ourselves to Death. And he said, we're now in danger of coming into a culture where, where we allow people to do our thinking for us, where we won't think and we won't engage our minds where we would rather amuse ourselves than think through issues. And, of course, the word muse, Cameron, means to think. Yes. And whenever you put the word 
or the letter A in front of something, like a theist is someone who believes in God, and put the letter A in front of it, a theist is someone who doesn't believe in God. So when you take the word muse, which, you know, to muse over something, to think about something, then you put the letter A in front of it, a muse or a muse, it means to stop thinking, to stop thinking. And Neil Postman's thought was, and it's quite a reasonable one, that we're living in an age where amusement, entertainment and amusement is dumbing culture down so that culture stops thinking through consequences. It stops thinking through issues. It stops, it, it stops celebrating the idea of reflection, the idea of pondering, the idea of consideration, the idea of, hang on, before we adopt this idea, let's really think about it. I was I was uh, on the phone to someone in politics yesterday, and I, I mentioned that you know for for politicians today, a, a large part of their their horrible task is to convey to an electorate that doesn't want to think, doesn't want to reflect, doesn't want to consider, and they have to somehow communicate with that electorate in thirty seconds. You know, they, they, sometimes even fifteen seconds. This, this is very very difficult, and so we're now seeing political parties and political candidates resorting to being amusing in the way they do that and trying to be entertaining just simply to to get people's attention whereas when Abraham Lincoln in America was campaigning for president as the incumbent he he and his uh, contender the the democratic contender would would go to a town hall the democratic contender would give a speech for an hour or two the president would give a responding speech for an hour or two. People would just sit there and listen for the three or four hours. Then there'd be a debate for another hour or so. And about five or six hours, people would get up for the first time, having sat there for six hours listening to political debate. Cameron, there is just no way that would happen today. <laughs> now, no. the, the point, the bigger point here is this. There may be people, there may be people listening to me right now going, Look, my life is what it is. I don't like it. It's my lot. There's nothing I can do about it. I, I just, I'm deeply miserable. The only relief I get is when I amuse myself, I just, I can't see any way out of this. Well, there is a way out. There is a way out. Here's, here's three things you can do to, to add positive inevitability to your life and your family. Firstly, commit yourself to modelling self-improvement. Model self-improvement. If, if you've not read a book this year, you've still got three months. September, October, September, October, November, December. We've got four months, four months. There's always three things I struggled with with maths, Cameron. That was numbers and counting. <laughs> <laughs> I'm glad I'm not the only one. So, then. <laughs> so that were the three things I struggled with. So you've got four months to read a book. Well, improve yourself. Grab a book, read a book, get down to Kurong, ask Sarah Kerwin, the manager of Kurong. Yes, hi Sarah. Tell me what I should read. Give me a book to read. She'll go, what are you interested in? Oh, don't, don't worry about reading something you're interested in. Just ask Sarah, what book should I read? Go down and see Sarah. Tell her I sent you. Sarah will give you a good price on a book. Read a book. You've got four months to do it. If that's the only book you read for a year and you haven't read a book for years, you've just suddenly improved yourself. Do something to improve yourself. Secondly, develop a work ethic. Develop a work ethic. Take pride in your work. Whatever you do, you, you could be working in Harris Scarf 
putting stock on shelves. For Pete's sake, do it well. <laughs> do mm. it well. You may have customers come up to you and ask, where's the widgets or whatever. Don't treat those customers as a nuisance or an inconvenience. Treat them as the very reason you've actually got a job. Look after them. Begin to develop a work ethic where you take pride in your work, where it's not a matter of clocking on and clocking off. It's a matter of understanding the big picture and your role that you play in that. Understand that what you do, you you do not just, as I, I keep saying in this, you're not just doing it for your boss, but there's actually a higher power. There's, there's, there's someone beyond your boss to whom you will one day give an account. Work as if you believe that. And by developing a work ethic, I, I'm, I'm also saying give your children a work ethic. Talk mm-hmm. to your children about taking pride in their schoolwork. Yep. Take pride in their handwriting. Take pride in the way they spell words. Take pride in getting homework done. It's not about the homework. It's about them, their character. And thirdly, and this is a big one, and then we'll go to music and then we're going to come down the home stretch and I've got some, I think, some pretty profound stuff to say. Here's the third one. Invest. Learn to invest. There's three things you can invest. One is your time, one is your talent, and one is your treasure. And for the most part, we, we don't invest. If you, if you want to know how to invest, I suggest getting a book called Rich Dad, Poor Dad by Robert Kiyosaki. Start there. Just start there. Read that book. You'll, get, you, you'll hear in that book, you'll read about the six levels of investing. And you need, if you want to improve yourself, you, you need to invest your time, your talent, your treasure. Now, those three things, Commit yourself to improving yourself. Model self-improvement. Secondly, develop a work ethic and give your children a work ethic. And thirdly, invest. You do those three things, Cameron, you will be positively, you'll give your life a positive inevitability about it. Because sometimes our life goes in cycles that we go, why does this always go wrong? Why does this always happen to me? Well, I'm talking about breaking those cycles developing a new pattern, a positive pattern, but it doesn't happen by accident. Inevitability happens because you do certain things. Cameron, let's come back after this song and we're going to come down the home stretch where I've got some things to say about the role each of us can play in the inevitable future of our state. Okay, let's get into some music now from the Supertones. This is Look Forward to the Future on YFM, back with Dr. Andrew Corbett shortly. Music is what they call, they term Scar, and it's so it's Christian Scar from a group called the Supertones. Very popular they were in the early part of the, this uh, millennium. Um, that's Forward to the Future. It's now 9.21, back with Dr. Andrew Corbett as we talk about them some things for the future. Some things for the future. Well, what the future will inevitably yes. look like, Cameron. Okay, so we've made the point that there's there's a whole segment of society that's kind of pushing this idea. Certain things are inevitable. History's going in a certain direction. Because it is, there's nothing we can do about it. We might as well get on the bandwagon. I think most famously was when our current Prime Minister, Kevin Rudd, announced that, you know, well, I now support gay marriage, even though I don't believe in it, but I, I see it as inevitable, therefore I should support it. And, you know, that's one example of nonsensical thinking because something like that is, or anything like that, is only inevitable 
if we make it inevitable in, uh-huh. in that sense. And uh, and I, for one, take strong issue with that. I, I totally disagree that that's inevitable. In fact, although it's described as progressive and all the rest of it, we can actually see in history where this has happened before and its effect on society has been anything but progressive. In fact, it's been regressive. That's just one one thing. And, and some people will hear that and go, well, gee, that, that's harsh and that's cold and it's discriminatory and all the rest of it. And I actually think, again, because I don't believe it is, I, I, again, I think this is where language has been used to discredit people who, who dare challenge yeah, this kind of stuff. Yeah. And, you know, some people challenge this in a, in a very polite manner and we're we're ridiculed and we're we're called all sorts of names and we're called dinosaurs and you know just not moving with the times and none of those insults are actually an argument or a case being made for making the change okay so cameron i also talked about some people may feel and i know that there are people who grow up you know that they'll drop out of school maybe grade 10 or if they do any college maybe not you know take the hard courses and at the end of it they may struggle to get a job and if they get a job they may be flipping burgers for a few years and nothing wrong with that but i i want to begin to encourage people to 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 look deep in their heart and go is is this why i'm on the planet Do, do you have a greater potential than doing this is this something of a higher purpose a higher calling for which you have air in your lungs and a pulse in your heart. I, I really think that we need to begin to encourage our young people to recognise that we could, you know, what, what's the future vision of this state? Let me, let me sort of jump into this now. The future vision of our state is one in which we can have a balance between a sustainable economy where, where we have sustainable everything, sustainable forestry, sustainable farming, sustainable fisheries we we, ha- we ha- can have sustainable agriculture at the same time we can maintain our ecology we can also improve our tourism heard you talking with our mayor um, alderman albert van zetten about the importance of tourism it, it's actually more important than that cameron it's actually way more important than that yes. we, we need we, the future vision of our state can look like a state where we not we're not having tens of thousands of visitors to our state but literally hundreds of thousands of visitors to mm. our state the future vision of our state looks like we are geared toward that where we're our our road signage is clear cameron right now it's not i mean there are tasmanians who get lost in tasmania now uh, you know mm. I, you and i have both been here for a long time and and yet we go to a different part of the state and we struggle to to get around and well pity help the tourist you know, there's a lot of things that we can do to improve what we do as far as tourism goes. Look, there's a certain push that says um, retail shopping is dying. It's, it's, you know, if you have a retail shop, you're a dinosaur. That, that's just balderdash. It is absolute balderdash. What, what, it, what it will mean is we, we've got to do it differently. We can't stick to the old models of saying, you know, we're, the, the customers should be grateful that we're here. That, that's a stupid, stupid way to do business. That, that, that is doomed. 
but there will be retailers who get that it's a privilege of a, it's a privilege for us if a customer yeah. walks into our store it's a privilege for us if a customer buys from our store we'd better give the customer every reason to want to walk into our store and every reason to want to buy from us and that isn't just about pricing it's not just about service it's not just about the experience in the the shop it, it it's about the whole story of your business and i think businesses that get that will do well and in fact will actually have a competitive advantage in in the the future of retailing from a church point of view some some people say it's inevitable that churches will dwindle and die I strongly disagree with that, Cameron. I, I, I do not see that as inevitable at all. It, they say it's inevitable that young people lose interest in religion and Christianity in particular. No, it's not. It absolutely is not. In fact, the future of our state looks like a whole, a whole generation are, are coming up that recognise that, that the materialistic, hyper-scientific, in the, in, in the most ugliest form of that word, way of looking at the world is totally inadequate we are not just meat from the top down we have a heart we have a soul and i don't mean the physical organs i mean there is a there is a part of each of us that is immaterial it's real it feels it has emotions it has passions it has the potential to connect with god and so this uh, this vision of the future that i have is one in which we also have a, a lot of positive economic outcomes because we're doing these things because we have an integrity revolution where we 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 do the right because it's right and we shun the wrong because it's wrong not because we're going to get caught where where churches are flourishing and thriving where there's a, a continued cooperation between church and state you know people talk about a separation of church and state in tasmania cameron we've never had separation of church and state because we've had cooperation between church and state and it's inevitable that if we continue to do the right thing, that that will be strengthened. And we can see a positive economy where we literally have zero unemployment or as close to it as possible. Mm. We, have, we have so many natural resources and sustainable resources that there is absolutely no reason for us to have the unemployment rate that we have right now. And you can look at all of the obstacles that people put forward and say, well, you know, we're geographically distant from the world. I just go bunk, bunk, absolute bunk. We, we can overcome every one of these things because history tells us we can. Uh, the, the world right now tells us we can. You just have to look at even the chart that um, Kevin Rudd put out recently to show where our national debt is in comparison to other nations. And I think we're second or third on that uh, that chart. But look at who's first. Estonia. Estonia. Cameron, Estonia. Do you know where Estonia is? Most people couldn't point to it on a map. No. Estonia, a, a population three times the size of Tasmania. A national population three times the size of Tasmania. It has zero foreign debt. It has a zero um, a, a trade deficit. It, it, it has no national debt. Cameron, Estonia, hmm. it's, it's cold. I mean, I mean, really cold. But yet out of Estonia, entre they've developed an entrepreneurial culture. You know, Skype was invented in Estonia. Oh, okay. And, and we could go on. We could, we could mention these household hmm. names. They all came out of Estonia. Cameron, this is just one reason why we have hope to see that in Tasmania, yeah. 
our that our inevitable future can be quite positive and we can play a role in this but there's some things that we got to do and time's running out but let me just share a couple of things here <clears throat> in order for this to happen in order for us to have a, a cohesive coherent government a healthy media a school system an academia that is flourishing and is more interested in educating than in getting funding uh, to have businesses that flourish and thrive, to have an entrepreneurial culture, to have churches that are vibrant, to have a sporting culture that is healthy and vibrant. To get there requires num one thing from everybody, participation. Participation. Cameron, in a couple of weeks, we're going to be voting. And I'm actually quite thrilled that people are feeling a little bit passionate about this election. There are people who I know good friends of ours who have put their hand up and are running uh, for the election. A good friend of ours is um, Andrew Goulst, as, a, as an example, yeah, who's running yeah. in the Senate. And there are other good people um, who, who are running, who are putting their hands up, and not just running, but, but are involved in the political process. This is wonderful, fantastic. You know, in your local school, get involved. Get involved in your children's education. Get involved. When someone says something that you, you object to in, in, in the newspaper, as, as I did and was published in yesterday's Examiner, just courteously, politely respond. I don't think anyone could charge me with being nasty or petty from what I wrote and was published yesterday. No. But I would encourage people to do that as well. Get involved. If, if, mm. if enough good people with good motives don't get involved, our, our inevitable future won't be positive. Yep. But our inevitable future can be positive if we get involved. All right, I want to finish with, with just this big, 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 did I say big, big thought <laughs> about what is up it's absolutely be big, inevitable. Cameron, much bigger than Big Her. There are two <laughs> things that are absolutely inevitable and yet which I see most people do nothing about. Number one, number one inevitability is everyone will die. Yeah. You will die, Cameron. I will die. We will die. That's number one. Number two, this is the second most inevitable th fact about your future. You will stand before God and he will hold you to account for your life. So, number one, you will die. It's inevitable. Number two, after you die, you will stand before God and he will hold you accountable for your life. And for those people that's, that have this attitude that says, well, God's obviously got you know scales and he puts all my bad stuff on one side and all my good stuff on the other side, that's not how it works, Cameron. It's just not how it works. Imagine, imagine a murderer, someone who's murdered one person. On the way to the courtroom, they rescue 12 drowning children pull them up on the riverbank, rescue them, and they stand in the court and go, hey, hang on, hey, you guys obviously didn't hear what I just did. I know, I, I admit, I murdered I murdered someone. Yes, that was wrong. I, I Totally, yep. But I just rescued 12 people. Now, the 12 clearly outweighs the one. Therefore, you should let me off. I mean, what judge on the planet is going to go, oh, okay, fair enough. And why would God be any different? His sense of justice is not distorted by our by our humanity his sense of justice is pure and it's not a matter of whether you've done more good than bad it's a matter of have you accepted his answer to the problem 
And his answer to the problem, Cameron, was Jesus Christ dying in our place nearly 2,000 years ago. Cameron, that's the kind of inevitability that if you turn to Jesus Christ as your saviour, you can have an, an inevitable peace with God now and peace with God for eternity. I'll be back next Wednesday, Cameron, with another controversial discussion. <laughs> Always controversial, but very thought-provoking, that's for sure. Dr. Andrew Corbett, thank you for joining us today. We'll catch him tomorrow night on Finding Truth Matters. Of course, this will be uploaded once again onto our website at wafm.org.au forward slash downloads for you to uh, to download from uh, from our website there. It's And others are up there as well. 9.35 now, Private Universe. This is Crowded House. Wavefm.org.au slash download. Duh. Duh. As distinct from downloads. Okay. Whoops. I, d I knew it was download, but I didn't, yeah. yeah. Okay, I'll correct. Ah, oh, thanks, mate. Yeah.